Hi, this is David Flowers, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, I am not David Flowers, senior pastor of the Grantham Church. Um, David, pastor David is in Texas, but we hope to welcome him back in a couple of weeks to the United States. <laughs> we don't have any Texans here, do we? Um, Our scripture lesson today is Psalm 48. Psalm 48, we will not be projecting it. Grab yourself a pew Bible, use your uh, phone or however you do it. Get beside somebody with a Bible, with a pew Bible, and follow along, please. We'll stay with this passage throughout the morning. Psalm 48, beginning to read at verse 1. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself in her fortresses, to be her fortress. When the king joined forces, When they advanced together, they saw her and were astonished. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by the east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, We meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Let us pray. (laughs) Guide us, Lord, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today is the 4th of July, the day we celebrate our nation's independence from Great Britain. The overall thesis of our declaration of that independence is stated in these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Now, Jefferson's original version said that those rights are sacred and undeniable. Although Franklin changed the wording to unalienable, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are indeed lofty goals. Nevertheless, nearly two and a half centuries have passed, and many of our citizens today think our nation has lost its moorings. Some say we are no longer the strongest nation on earth. Others say we are no longer the most compassionate nation on earth. Some say we're no longer a nation that follows the inscription on the Statue of Liberty to welcome immigrants. Others say we are no longer a nation that follows the Bible to ban abortion. Some say we're no longer a Christian nation. Others say we never were a Christian nation. In response to these conflicting sentiments, some declare, make America great again. And others respond, make America great for all Americans. Such divisions have led to vitriolic language and violent actions. We call each other names like woke or racist. Some of us demonize critical race theory. Others disparage gun rights. Our protests turn to marching in the streets and even a violent attack on our nation's capital. As followers of Jesus, rather than the right or the left, let's be clear, neither Donald Trump nor Nancy Pelosi are demonic, nor are they antichrist. Indeed, Jesus calls us to love our enemies, not call them names, although Jesus did do that on occasion. When I get upset about what I read in the news, Amy says to me, and she's done this many times, relax, you're an Anabaptist. Our primary citizenship, as Pastor David said this morning, is not to our nation, but to the kingdom of God. Our creed is not America first, but Jesus is Lord. At a time when people think America is losing its greatness, Followers of Jesus take confidence in the promise of the first words of Psalm 48. Get it back out if you don't have it. Great is the Lord. And the other Psalms echo that. The Lord is great. Psalm 48 is a lectionary reading for this week. Last year I read the Bible through. This year I'm following the lectionary readings. And this week, I encountered Psalm 48. Psalm 48 celebrates the security that comes from God's protection. This psalm is Israel's pledge of allegiance, not to the nation, but to God for the protection received from living in God's holy city, Jerusalem. The city is unconquerable, 
not because of Israel's strength, but because of God's protection. And the future is always great because God is great. Praise and confidence permeate Psalm 48, and we need that today. In thinking of the divisions in our country, we turn to Psalm 38, 48, I'm sorry, a Psalm of Zion. Zion refers to Jerusalem, and particularly the temple, God's dwelling place. God's presence in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was housed protected Israel. In 1 Samuel 4, <clears throat> the Israelites were defeated in battle by the Philistines, and 4,000 Israelites were slaughtered. So the people said, let's bring the Ark of the Lord so that it will go up with us and save us from the hand of our enemy. But in that conflict, the Philistines captured the Ark in a terrible defeat where the two sons of the high priest Eli were killed and Eli himself died when he heard the news. In that battle, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Lord, took it to their temple, and set it beside their god, Dagon. The next day, they found Dagon on his face before the, before the Ark. The Philistines restored their god to his place, but the next morning they found him on the floor again, this time with both of his hands and feet broken off. When the ark was moved to Ekron, people in that town were inflicted with tumors and rats. So the Philistines returned to the ark on a cart pulled by two cows and accompanied by gifts of gold pieces in the in the shape of those tumors and rats. With the Ark of the Lord in their possession, Israel defeated the Philistines. But the account makes it clear that that victory was not through Israel's strength, but because of the presence of the Ark of the Lord. Israel was victorious because her God is great. When we fear that our country is losing its greatness, we need not despair. Psalm 48, verses 1 and 2, affirms, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God. His holy mountain is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. The beauty and loftiness of Jerusalem was due to the holiness of the presence of the Lord God. On Mount Zion. In those days, cities were established on hills or mountains for protection from enemies. The Lord was enthroned on Mount Zion, a holy hill which the royal city of Jerusalem was built at an elevation of about 2,600 feet. That is not high elevation, even when compared to the mountains right here in Pennsylvania around us. Indeed, Psalm 48 contrasts Mount Zion to Mount Zaphron. Zaphon, the magnificent, snow-covered, 
peak that dominates the entire Palestinian range. Zaphon is the sacred mountain of the Phoenician and Canaanite gods, considered to be Baal's mountain. To compare the height of Mount Zion to Mount Zaphon is physically ridiculous. Mount Zaphon is twice the height of Mount Zion. Nevertheless, theologically, Mount Zion is to the Israelites the highest mountain in all the world because Yahweh, not Baal, is the real king of heaven and earth. Pastor David Perry's professor at Fuller Seminary, John Golden Gay, says it like this, geographically and aesthetically, there is nothing remarkable about Mount Zion. It is neither as high nor as attractive as the mountains around. Neither can one say that there's actually been more joy there than any place else on earth. Zion's descriptions are theological. Mount Zion is the most beautiful mountain because Yahweh lives there and can be met there. So joy is more appropriate there than anywhere else on earth. Zion is the city of the great King Yahweh, the savior and defender of Israel. And because God lives there, Mount Zion is the most joyous center of the whole earth. And our God is still most worthy of praise. Many of you will remember that a little less than a decade ago, our congregation was in serious crisis. Some of you may have thought that the conflict would destroy us. It did not. But during those days, it was not ultimately your pastor or even all of you who pulled together to overcome that conflict and bring peace. It was not us. It was God. I remember preaching in those days and thinking to myself, these are my words, but something's happening here that's greater than any of us. It was our God. Last week, Pastor David gave us a glimpse of what God has in store for in the future of our church. And the God who brought peace to the Grantham Church can also bring peace to our nation and even our world. In times when we worry about our nation's security, God is our fortress. Psalm, the verses 3 to 8 of Psalm 48 it applies this security to Israel. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there. Pain like a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. This is a song of praise to the greatness of our God. The word rendered fortress in our version is better translated refuge or haven. It is not a military term. The city of God needs no fortresses because God is a refuge for his people. The citadels and fortress are manifestations of the secure protection 
of those who trust in God. The reason the psalmist praises Israel's God is because of God's defeat of her enemies. But the passage is too general to refer to any specific battle. It's symbolic of God's protection against all attacks. When the Canaanite kings attacked Israel, they were terrified, fled, were destroyed by an east wind. In other words, by God. Other rulers don't threaten the power of the great king in Jerusalem, the Lord God. Many persons thought that the overthrow of apartheid in South Africa was impossible, and by human efforts, it was. When the goal was shockingly reached, black African leaders like Bishop Desmond Tutu acknowledged that God is the real source of that victory. Likewise, the separation of the races in our country was addressed by all by preachers. Martin Luther King Jr., Ralph Abernathy, Jesse Jackson, all Baptist preachers. In his last sermon, I've been to the mountaintop, King said, God allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've seen the promised land. I am so happy tonight. I am not worried about anything. I am not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Indeed, in the end, God will overcome all enemies to establish his majestic and eternal kingdom on earth. Even now, we take refuge in the security of being part of the kingdom of God. That kingdom is established not by human power or strength, but by the unfailing love of God. According to verses 9 to 11, like your name within, uh, I'm sorry, for, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. God's victory over Israel's enemies like Assyria, Persia, Babylonia caused rejoicing in the temple which was heard throughout the earth. Nevertheless, Psalm 48 does not describe a military victory. Instead, Israel meditates on the unfailing love of God. Unfailing love translates a wonderful Hebrew word, hesed, which occurs throughout the Old Testament. Many of you know the Greek word agape. Now you know a Hebrew word, hesed, variously translated as love, mercy, grace, kindness, fidelity, loyalty. Hesed is all of those things. Say the word with me. It begins with a soft C-H. Say it, hesed. Hesed. You can do it. Hesed. Okay, you did. <laughs> You're good enough. Um, no one word can capture its full meaning 
It denotes God's gracious actions on behalf of his people. The passage also says, God's right hand of strength is filled not with weapons like swords and spears and bombs and cyber attacks. God's weapon is righteousness. Righteousness. The Bible's word righteousness means justice. They are the same word. One political commentator said, if your pastor talks about social justice, run from that church. Well, if you do, you'll be running from the Bible's message. Justice is not a woke term, but a theme running throughout the Bible. Moreover, judgments refers to decisive actions that manifest God's unfailing love and righteousness. And God's love and righteousness is what we are to tell to the next generation. The end of the Psalm 48 affirms this in verses 12 to 14. Walk around Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. This celebration reminds us of Nehemiah's dedication of the rebuilt temple and Joshua's encircling the walls of Jericho once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day before the walls crumbled. Indeed, remembering the protection of God in the past creates confidence in his ability to protect us now. And Israel celebrates God's triumph with a victory lap around the city, the city of Jerusalem. The purpose of the celebration is to tell the next generation that this God of steadfast love and righteousness is their God. Psalm 48 ends with the words forever and ever and in the end, which speak of the duration of God's kingdom for Israel, for us, and forever. Well, what's the application of this passage for us today? Because our God is great, ultimately, we have nothing to fear from the conflicts and divisions in our world. Amy's cousin told me recently that the Bible says do not be afraid 369 times, once for every day of the year. Although I did not count them to verify that number, I thought I could do better things with my time, I did consult a Bible concordance, and do not be afraid occurs a multitude of times. So what are we afraid of? Although Jesus says it's appropriate for us to fear hell, he brackets that admonition by saying twice, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. The angel who announced Jesus' birth said to both Mary and Zechariah, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. That refrain is repeated by Jesus to Peter on two separate fishing expeditions. Do not be afraid, do not be afraid. And when Paul rejected in the second court, the Lord be afraid. When ship angel emphasized to do not be afraid. John saw that view of Jesus, fell in trance. An angel said to him, do not be afraid. And Jesus sums up all of this in his words to his disciples. 
peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. God is great. God does not need us to make him great. God is great. That great God will protect us. Therefore, the message of the Bible is do not be afraid, which it repeats once for every day of the year. So, why would Jesus' followers be afraid? Maybe we're practical people. Will this really work? Can God make us secure? Is what we're doing now working? Years ago, my parents lived next door to a woman whose husband died. His wife continued to live in the house, but was terrified to be alone. She had expensive jewelry and fur coats in her bedroom, the closet. Fear of losing those prized possessions and fear of personal harm living alone caused her to install locks on all the doors. Even her bedroom door, where the valuables were stored, had padlocks. She also concealed a gun in the drawer beside her bed for protection. Although considerably younger than her husband, she died within a year. Locks and guns did not bring security. When my parents shared that story with me, it strengthened my resolve not to fear for health or security. I am blessed with a wife who does not fear. For three years when our children were young, I traveled in my position with the Brethren in Christ Church. Even when I was gone for days, Amy said, I needn't call home because we didn't have much money for phone calls. And because she said, if I wanted to worry, I could. But I choose not to. Good choice. Good choice. Amy grew up in a small town like I did. Her family did not lock the doors. In fact, I never saw a key to that house. I don't think there ever was one. Now, we could say times have changed. But maybe we have changed. I would take my parents' trust in the Lord for their neighbors' trust in guns and locks. Great is the Lord. Do not be afraid. Nevertheless, our politicians love to scare us, don't they? Democrats want us to be afraid of restriction of voting rights. Republicans want us to worry about voter fraud. Fear is used to manipulate us to vote for them. I have resolved not to vote for anyone out of fear. I take comfort in the words of the psalmist, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. Politicians are not our savior. Neither the Democratic nor the Republican Party can protect us from the dangers of this world. But ultimately, we have no need to fear because God is with us. Now, I recognize I am speaking from privilege here. I live in a community where there is little, very little violent crime. I've been blessed financially, so I do not worry about whether or not my family will be fed, 
clothed, and housed. I certainly have less to fear than most people in the world. And yet, even privileged people are, to, are compelled to fear imagined threats. I find a deep deal of confidence and peace from Jesus who told us, do not be afraid. So, how do followers of Jesus celebrate the 4th of July? When I was in the pastorate, after Memorial Day or the 4th of July, invariably, some of the members would ask, why don't we sing America the Beautiful? Or pledge the flag or even have a flag in our church? My response was and is, our primary loyalty and citizenship is not in our country, but in the kingdom of God. We may celebrate the anniversary of our nation's independence, of our nation's independence, with fireworks. Grateful that they're not real bombs. We might raise an American flag in our yard, realizing that our primary loyalty is always to the kingdom of God. When I was a child, our country recognized that distinction. We were taught how to treat the American flag in elementary school. You never let it touch the ground. You never let it on a, left it on a pole overnight. And you would certainly not disrespect it by wearing it as clothing or as a, something on a, or on a t-shirt. More important, and this is the important part, you never store anything on top of the flag, some of you remember, except the Bible. And nothing on top of the Bible. That's because even our culture recognized that God is superior to country. Slogans like America First border on idolatry. Because for followers of Jesus, country is never first before God. And our country used to recognize that. This 4th of July, realize that our primary citizenship is in God's kingdom. Therefore, we do not so much mourn our country's loss of greatness because we realize great is our Lord God. We do not allow politicians from either party to scare us because we heed the words repeated hundreds of times in the Bible, do not be afraid. We are citizens of the great kingdom of our great God. Great is the Lord. Do not be afraid. Amen. Let's stand together for prayer. Our Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. May we place our trust in you rather than any worldly principality or power so that whatever happens, we need not be afraid but have confidence in our great God through whom we pray. Amen.